It's a movement, but it's about people. Be the People is about we the people joining forces to reclaim and reshape the best of our nation's time-treasured traditions. Each week, we offer insightful interviews with movers and shakers from all different spheres of life. And now, please welcome Dr. Carol Swain. Welcome to another episode of Be The People podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about something that's on the minds of a lot of conservatives, and that has to do with the state of America, the nation we have today that many of us scarcely recognize. My next guest is Chris Widener. He is a motivational speaker. You may have heard him speak. He's a top salesman and he has spoken all over the world. But more recently, he has focused on America, our nation, how it has changed. And he has a book that we'll talk about near the end of this uh, discussion about how we can get our nation back. And I know that America and the loss of the nation that we were born in, we've loved, uh, that that grieves the hearts of many of us who are conservative. So help me to welcome Chris Widener to the Be The People show. Hey, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. This is uh, very exciting to me. I've long respected you and your work, and uh, so it's fun to be able to chat. Well, first of all, Chris, I'm always curious about people, where they were born, and uh, a little bit about their backstory. And so tell us uh, about you, you know, very briefly, because we only have a fixed amount of time. Sure. Yeah, I grew up in the Seattle area, first 50 years of my life in Seattle. Um, when I was four years old, my dad died, caused us a lot of troubles. My mom had to sell a big, beautiful house that she uh, couldn't afford the $400 a month mortgage payment. This was 1970. Um, that began a downward spiral in my life. 28 homes, 11 different schools, shipped off to live with relatives twice, once in the fourth grade, once in the ninth grade, started drugs in the sixth grade. Uh, really, really just sort of a bad upbringing. Uh, finally figured life out the summer before my senior year of high school when I became a Christian. And uh, that uh, enabled me to sort of readjust the trajectory of my life. Went to college. And then as soon as I got out of college, uh, I started being asked to speak at high schools, summer camps, colleges, you know, those kinds of things because of the upbringing that I'd had and, and how I overcame it all. And eventually it transitioned into speaking more to adult conferences. And now I've done 2,500 speeches all over the world, written 22 books uh, that have sold millions of copies in 14 languages now. So that's the basic overview of how I ended up here. But I ended up uh, getting involved in politics in 2004 when my best friend ran for the governor of the state of Washington, eventually losing a stolen election after the second recount, closest governor's election in U.S. history, 129 votes out of 3 million cast. And that sort of got me involved in politics. I ran for the U.S. Senate in 2010 and uh, have run political websites ever since and tried to make my voice heard like all of us should. Let me stop you and go back to something I know will interest the listeners. So there was a stolen election when and where? Yeah, this was 2004. In fact, uh, <laughs> um, 
John, John Fund from the Wall Street Journal had written a book called Stealing Elections, and it was going back to print in the middle of this election uh, fiasco. And he told the press, stop the presses, I'm adding a new chapter. Uh, it was the 2004 Washington State gubernatorial election between my friend Dino Rossi and the current, at the time, Attorney General Christine Gregoire. We won, uh, we won, and he was, uh, uh, he got the bodyguards and everything, but it was under 2,000 votes. And the state law said that under 2,000 votes, you have to do another recount. So we did another recount, and he won again. Uh, but it was still under 2,000 votes, and the state law said that if you lose after a recount, the losing side can pay, they have to pay, the first one was free, they can pay for a hand recount, it was a million dollars. So the National Democratic Party and John Kerry and some of these folks who had some money left over, they funded the million dollars and they did a hand recount. And, uh, and guess who won after the hand recount? Well, the state law said that whoever wins the second recount is the winner. So she uh, won by 129 votes. She was uh, certified. We sued. It went to the court and the judge said, you're right. We found 1,100 illegally cast votes, felons, dead people, dogs, uh, and all that, but he said, but I don't know who they voted for, so I can't throw them out because you'd have to throw them out according to who they voted for, but we don't know who they voted for, so I'm going to have to let it stand. So he, uh, he lost that one, ran for, ran for election against her in 2008, uh, but she squeezed the business community so hard that he hardly got any money uh, that she basically told them, if you, don't, if you give him any more money, then I'm, you're going to be treated right. un, you know, unfavorably going forward. So he got 85% of the business money in 2004. I think he got 20% of the business money in That's 2008. That's the way it works. That's the way it works, isn't it? Well, you know, with this 2020 election and all the evidence that uh, of a stolen election, I feel like one reason that the judiciary system and, the, uh, and also the the politicians and people that were in positions of influence that they decided not to look because no one wants to undo uh, an election. They don't know how to do it because we know in other states there were dead people who voted, underage uh, people voting, illegal aliens, people that voted from parking lots, uh, just all sorts of um, irregularities but no one knows what to do or they're not willing to take action. Yeah. I think people are feel, they feel threatened. I mean, all you have to do is just watch what has happened since, since uh, January 20th and just the full force and weight of everything, you know, from, from actual government executive orders down to uh, all the talking heads talking on television about sending people to re-education camps and going through deprogramming programs. It, it has become pretty clear that they are willing to break an arm or two in order to get their way. Well, it sounds like uh, you know a lot about the business world and how the radical left uses them, business owners and corporations, to advance their agenda. Uh, that is something you witnessed uh, yourself, right? Yeah. And, and I mean, if you think about it, though, is, hasn't Jesse Jackson been doing this for 40 years? I mean, isn't that basically what the Rainbow Coalition does is goes, they've been doing it forever, just on a micro scale, right? You know, the Rainbow Coalition has been doing it for, for a long time, but just for themselves to go in and say, look, here's the deal. We think you've got a problem. You can give us some money or we can let everybody know about it. And this just feels like a lot bigger. You know, this just feels like it on a national scale. Now everybody's on board and they're all doing it for their cause as opposed to for their 
own nonprofit. Um, but that kind of uh, coercion has been happening for a long time. It's just, I think it's finally stunning some people that it's on a national scale. It's not just one company at a time, it's all companies. And they're not just saying, you know, give us some money and support us and we'll help you figure it out. Now it's, if you don't do it, we're going to crush you and, and, uh, and we're going to go after your employees and your CEO. And it's just full-blown coercion. I can tell you that when I ran for mayor of Nashville, it was a special election at first. I came in number two. Uh, I, I ran again for the uh, regular election the following year. And I had so many people tell me, and these were Republicans, that they were afraid that the mayor would retaliate against them if they uh, voted for me or if they donated money so that their name showed up uh, on a list. I guess it was pretty much not that if they voted, but they were afraid to support me financially because they knew they would be retaliated against. Yep. That's exactly the way that it works. That's exactly the way that it works. Very unfortunate. We're going to take a break. And when we return, uh, we'll talk more about uh, these issues. Carol Swain here to tell you about my good friends at Churchill Mortgage. Churchill is a national company that was started in Nashville, Tennessee, with a commitment to educating clients about how to save money and time on home loans and refinancing. Churchill can help you get out of debt. Pick up the phone and call them at 888-562-6200 or visit them on the web at churchillmortgage.com. Tell them Carol sent you. Dr. Carol Swain's Be the People, a call to reclaim America's faith and promise, newly released in paperback and audio with a new introduction, is a challenge to all Americans. If you are serious about being the best citizen you can be, this is the book for you. From addressing moral relativism to reclaiming the future, you'll understand why Dr. Swain is one of the most relevant voices in today's culture war. Are you ready to reclaim America's faith and promise? Purchase at bethepeoplenews.com front slash books or wherever books are sold. Fighting every day against the internet monopolies that are trying to stifle our right to free speech and freedom of assembly. Five years on the air and we will not be silenced. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. I'm back with my guest, Chris Widener, and we're talking about elections and also just how we can get back our country. I know many of you have given up hope, but I've not given up hope. And Chris, uh, you haven't given up hope. I'm getting close. I got to be honest with you, but I am the eternal optimist. And so I always believe, I mean, I will fight to the very end, you know, in sports growing up, we could be down by two touchdowns with, you know, four minutes to go. And I still thought we could pull it off. And, and so I feel that way, but boy, it's getting to the point where it's pretty, it's pretty tough. I mean, you feel the full weight of, of all of the opposition and, uh, and I've got a strong personality like you do. And I imagine that even sometimes you feel it, Think about those folks who maybe don't know as much as we do about what's really going on or maybe don't have as strong a personalities. And, and I think it's important for, you know, folks like yourself and me to stand up, be strong, even if we do have some, you know, some uh, 
some fears or things like that, because I, I heard a great quote. It said, when we show courage, it gives others backbone. And so I view that as one of my roles now is to be courageous so that other people can say, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one that thinks this. There's a lot of people, 75 million people that believe like I do. I'm not crazy. Uh, so that's sort of my goal is trying to give other people hope by being strong in the middle of all this. Well, I can tell you that a lot of young people are watching us and I hear from them all the time and they're being bold. I even had a California high school junior contact me for an interview. And she is someone that was raised in a liberal family. She's in a liberal high school. Her teacher told the class, whatever you do, don't watch PragerU videos. And of course, the first thing she did was go out and watch PragerU videos. And uh, she was writing a paper about big tech's censorship of conservatives. So she interviewed me for that paper. And here it was, this college... um, uh, this high school junior in LA standing up to the system. Mm. Yeah. I mean, some of these young kids are showing a lot of, uh, a lot of courage. CJ Pearson down at university of Alabama, who was really, really harassed this past uh, the last six months or so, um, but doing a, a fantastic job down there. And and so they actually do give me a lot of hope. It, it seems as though there's a lot of conservatism, which basically is common sense. I mean, if kids can find a little bit of common sense and if they believe in right and wrong and truth, it's pretty hard to, to not be a Republican or a conservative. <laughs> well, Chris, what can we do? And you may have heard of second vote that, um, it's it's um, Diane Black's husband uh, started this organization called Second Vote. I'm not and, Okay, well, what they try to do is, I mean, what they do is they uh, rank uh, organizations based on a scale as, you know, most friendly or least uh, friendly towards conservatives. Her husband's oh. name is Dave uh, Black. And... Um, people can use an app to decide which businesses to to support. And many of us, you know, have boycotted Target. In fact, I don't go uh, to Target. I don't know if it has made a difference because there's so many organizations that are leftists like Home Depot, Lowe's, and you go down the list as a conservative, if you were trying to boycott all of them, you'd have no place to shop. Uh, what's the best way for us to get the attention of corporate America? Well, this is a really interesting thing going on. And I basically, um, I think that these corporations run by billionaires, I think they're basically saying we're rich enough. So we're going to do it anyway. You, You look at the NFL and the NBA, Major League Baseball, the drop in not just attendance because they're limiting attendance, but they're hoping to make it up with TV revenue. And, uh, and even those folks, um, I think they're just saying, who cares if we, instead of making 10 billion, we only make 5 billion. That's the price you pay to keep those in power happy and to transform society into what they want it to become. So it's interesting. I, I, I have a few pretty close connections to major league sports at the highest levels, including some owners of some professional sports teams. And I was asking the question just about three weeks ago, I said, you know, 
why would you go along with a movement that's going to cause half your fan base to leave and is going to cause your the value of this asset to go from, let's say a sports team's worth a billion and a half dollars, and now all of a sudden you have half the revenue for five years in a row. Now they're not worth a billion and a half more. Now they're worth 700 million. Why would these billionaires allow that to happen? And I think basically the opinion is I'm rich enough to do it, so I'm going to do it. I don't know that there is any way to get their attention. Uh, I would imagine that the, you know, that I mean, look at what we've demonstrated recently with um, what they call boycotts, right? Remember uh, Goya Foods and the left went after Goya Foods. The Hispanic Latino uh, owner of Goya Foods said, no, we support Trump. And, and the left went apoplectic in order to destroy him. Well, the right decided we're going to just, we're going to stock up on, on, uh, you know, on uh, refried beans, let's, let's order some. And, you know, we might not eat them for six months. Let's show this guy that we support him. I think the same thing's happening with my pillow. Um, but the problem is, is I don't think the left-leaning corporations care, um, even if they lose half their business. It, it appears to be that way. And, and I suppose that's their, their privilege as, a, as an American company to choose their own destiny. But it baffles me. Um, so I would say boycotts and boycotts are certainly good. I just don't know that they work on everything because the numbers are so huge. You know, if, if target goes from 30 billion to 20 billion, they lose $10 billion. The owner, the, the Dayton family, uh, Mark Dayton still, I think is the majority owner there. I just think, you know, they're already sitting on two or $3 billion of net worth and they've got their homes all over the world and their jets and they just don't care. It doesn't, well, it doesn't affect them. The left can certainly destroy local small businesses. Absolutely. And when you look at corporations, uh, the conservatives supported Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A, you know, billion dollar company. And they caved because they hired someone from the Obama administration to be in charge of, uh, of, of, I guess, their advertising or something that had to do with customer outreach. And they pretty much um, followed a path like Fox News, except Fox News is suffering and we're still eating Chick-fil-A. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of that happens in the transition from generation to generation. You know, the values of the, of the older one is not necessarily the values of the child or in the case of Fox News, the child's wife who is a, a radical leftist of one of the boys of uh, Rupert Murdoch's, one of his daughters-in-law, I can't remember the, with, what her name is exactly, but when they called the election for Biden, she, she was yelling up and down in their house, watching it saying, uh, we did it, we did it. And this is the woman who literally owns Fox News uh, in, in conjunction with her, her husband and, and her father-in-law. So there's a lot that I think transitions and people become embarrassed uh, there's a lot of pressure put on people. I, I'm friends with the publisher of one of the largest magazines in, in the world based in Washington or in, uh, pardon me, in New York City. Very well known. You, you know the name of it, but I won't go into it. But uh, he is much more conservative in real life than he is in the positions he takes. And one day I was talking to him and I said, I finally get it. And he said, you get what? And I said, I get why you're liberal publicly, but conservative privately. And he said, why? And I said, you don't want to miss out on the invitations to the cocktail parties. And he kind of got a, he got a grin on his face and he said, yeah, there's, there's probably a lot to that. There's, there's just a lot of pressure. If you want to keep your friends, I know a very young uh, liberal, um, I wouldn't call her liberal girl, probably liberal girl. Um, her parents are, are friends of ours and, 
And we were all together one day and she, I mean, she's got piercings and tattoos and purple hair and the whole thing and hangs out in the, you know, the sort of bohemian district of her city. And she said, you know, there are certain things I can't even talk about with my friends um, because they would literally disown me. And I said, well, like what? She said, I think people ought to be able to own a gun. And uh, I think she's, I think she's bi. And so, you know, it's interesting, you know, when African-Americans uh, were first released from slavery, guns were a great thing for them because now they were able to defend themselves. I think for, for gays and lesbians who might feel like there's people out to get them, I think that uh, guns is a, a great thing for them to be able to, to take ownership of their own life, defense of their own personal safety. And that's the way this woman feels. She's like, I think people ought to be able to own guns for their own personal safety. And she said, but I could never say that in my friend group. If I said that, I would never be invited to anything else ever again. Well, I can see that. I think women need to have guns yep. for self-protection. Yep. And a lot of women probably know that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But the, the social pressure, you know, there's business pressure that they exert. We're not going to buy from you or we're going to fire you or whatever. But then there's just social pressure. We're not going to be your friend. We're not going to, I mean, I, I'm sure in this last year, you've probably lost some friends. I, I lost some friends over this whole thing. People who are just so angry and bitter uh, and you end up having to, to just not have that relationship anymore. Well, Chris, it, what bothered me the most is that <clears throat> the friends that I lost and mattered were quote, um, Christian conservatives. Yeah. And I found that uh, very disheartening that many of them, um, the candidates that they support, sometimes it's a situation where they're being duped. And it's obvious to me and obvious to anyone that has two grains of sense that they've been manipulated. So that's one thing that has taken place. The other thing is that the never Trumpers, just that self-righteousness that led people to vote against their self-interest and the self-interest of other Christians because they thought he wasn't good enough. Yeah, I think the problem with the church, and and I was a pastor for 14 years while I was building my speaking career from, from uh, 1988 to 2002, before I started writing and speaking full-time. And one of the things, I, I think there's two problems with conservative Christians at this point. Number one, the church no longer preaches truth. Uh, and I'm speaking general, you know, generally, there's a broad sweeping generality, but um, we've gotten to the point where it's kind of like, well, you know, you believe this and I believe that it's okay. All paths lead to God, you know, and, and we've got more motivational speakers preaching than we do preachers preaching. And so there was a, an old book written back in the eighties called whatever happened to truth. And I love that book because we just don't know what truth is. And if, if you don't know what truth is, then you can con anybody. If you believe that a, if you believe that a human being with a penis can be a girl, then you can believe anything. I, I mean, really, honestly, you can believe anything. If, if you can take science and just discount it because you don't want to believe that anymore, then, then what's up next? Anything. And I think that's part of a problem. Christians don't know the truth. I think the other problem for the church, conservative Christians, is they've been lulled into believing that you have to be nice all the right, time. Right. And what the definition of nice is. And this is why you have people, I, I will go to Christian friends of mine in the political world and say, what policies do you disagree with on Donald Trump? These are the never Trumpers, and the, but, but the Christian never Trumpers. And, and all they can do is say how mean he is. Trump's mean. Look at his Twitter feed. Okay, I get that. I'll even give you that he's a jerk. Let's, for the moment, for the sake of discussion, I'll, I'll agree with you. He's a jerk. 
I don't really believe that, but for the sake of discussion, he's a jerk. Now, what policy decisions? Was it moving the embassy to Israel? Was it, you know, being the most pro-life uh, president of our lifetime? You know, uh, was it securing peace deals in the Middle East? Uh, was it getting out of the Paris court? Just give me any policy you disagree with. And they can't come up with any because he literally went out, you know, the old promises made, promises kept. And, and I think that Christians today are just, they're more enamored with being kind. And so they look at a guy like Joe Biden and they say, look at him. He's just a sweet old man. You know, I mean, he's kind. And, and it was funny because I always listen to what people say, you know, the, the talking heads and see what words they're all sharing. And I remember during the conventions, the DNC and the RNC, I said, oh, now I get what they're running on because everybody was using one form of the word decent. He's a right. decent man. He'll restore decency. Really, <laughs> they ran on COVID, but they really ran on decency. And and frankly, the I the most think immoral means, people ever ran on decency. Exactly. But but I mean that's the con, right? Every everything that they say is actually the opposite. It you know, that's why I'm writing this book called The Great Con, is because it, it is just amazing to me how many cons the left has run on us. And I think it's because we've lost track with the truth. Chris, we're going to take another break. And when we return, we're going to talk about your book, but also your advice to us about what we can do about the infiltration of the corporate world. Be the People is sponsored by Cooper Steel, a family-owned business that provides the steel fabrications for buildings across the Southeast. Sixty years ago, Kenneth and Faye Cooper founded the company in Chevyville, Tennessee, what started as a vision is now a nationally recognized company that remains true to its founders' Judeo-Christian values and principles. Cooper Steel is committed to excellence, responsibility, and community. Its motto is build strong, stand strong. It treats its employees and customers like family. Learn more at coopersteel.com. The Biden administration's executive order on immigration brings to the forefront one of the most volatile issues of our time. In this timely second edition of Debating Immigration, I join my voice to that of other experts to provide you with facts and information that will help you understand what is at stake for our nation. This edition offers 21 original essays that cover race, religion, economics, human smuggling, and civil rights. Purchase at bethepeoplenews.com front slash books or wherever books are sold. I'm back with my guest, Chris Widener. Chris, I want to know, you know, just what you think we can do when it comes to the corporate world and the radical left. And you've already alluded to the fact or spoken about the fact that there are some conservatives who are masquerading as liberals. Of course, that doesn't do our cause any good. Yeah. You know, in the corporate world, I think there's sort of two two things. There's the corporate world that you're talking about. And then I think there's just the everyday run of the mill. What can people do to, to step up and make a difference in the corporate world? And I would be interested in hearing this from you because you're much more of an expert in the legal uh, domain than I am, uh, infinitely more uh, knowledgeable of the, the legal domain than I am. But I find myself watching the news sometimes and going, why couldn't I be wrongfully terminated? I need a million dollars. <laughs> you know, I'd love to sue this group for $5 million for wrongful termination um, or for, you know, whatever it is that they do. 
I frankly think that the only way to fight it in corporate America is to take a stand and when you are terminated or, or harmed in any way to file lawsuits. I, I just think at this point, it's the only way to get a corporation's attention when a judge finally rules against them and says, you cannot do this anymore. You can't, uh, you can't fire people for their political beliefs. Um, but as it is, is most people just grumble. You know, most, most conservatives, they get fired or they do this, you know, they get harmed somehow and they just gripe about it. They don't ever fight back. So I think people are going to have to fight back and, and really take it to them. Um, and it probably is probably the only way to do it is legally. But sometimes with lawsuits, they're long and drawn out. You have to have money. Yeah. And so a lot of people settle rather than to go to that stage. And then if you settle, you have to sign a you know, non-disclosure uh, or well, non-disparagement clause. And disparagement is one of those squishy words that... Yeah. Uh, it's not clear, you know, if you're speaking the truth about what really happened, are you disparaging the organization if they did that? Uh, I think that that is why you don't hear more about what is actually happening. Yeah. The corporate world can afford, you know, to settle and they can afford to drag out cases. Well, that goes back to what I was saying earlier is, is they can afford it, right? So we'll fire everybody and the ones who sue will settle with them and, and we pay them a little bit of money, but we still get our way and we get rid of the conservatives. And, and, and so I think that that's, you know, the way they do it. And there's a lot of pressure. We were having a discussion uh, amongst a bunch of speakers, you know, which is sort of my day job is, is traveling around speaking, not so much anymore with COVID, but we were talking about the preferred pronouns uh, discussion and, and how we were talking about people that say uh, an individual whose pronoun is, uh, is they, them. And I just said, I refuse to do it. I, I just literally refuse to do it. I am not going to call an individual they or them because it's right. bad English. It's it just, is. It's bad English, but it goes back to there is no truth. And so they can con you into doing anything. But, but there were a lot of speakers who saying, I would, I would, I'll call them they, if that's what gets me the, the speaking engagement. Oh, please. Um, well, there's a lot of people that are, see, this is the problem. And I've often thought about the founding fathers. I, I, I wonder what happened when the discussions were, were taking place about either the revolution or the civil war. They had to have had the same conversations, don't you think? Well, what if they burned down my printing shop? Right, right. Down uh, my my oh, corner store. There right. had to have been the same things happening. Well, I mean, they were willing to to risk their lives, their sacred honor, their fortunes, you know, to found a nation. I wanted you to talk a little bit about your book and how people can get in touch with you. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. So the book that I'm currently in the process of writing, it's called The Great Con, How the Radical Left Stole America and How We Get It Back. And it covers uh, the Russian con, the virus con, the racism con, the education con, the news con, the sexuality con, the election con, the insurrection con, and the social media con. It's all the ways that the left uses um, the con in order to move people and to get their way. And um, and it's basically goes back to this principle of Americans need to learn to know and understand truth again, because as soon as you set up a, a premise that isn't true, then you can go anywhere. You can, you can create a, a platform to, to make people believe anything if you can get them on the first one. Well, you're absolutely right about it. And it sounds like a book that's very much needed. How can people get in contact with you? And we will be posting in the show description uh, the links to these 
social media handles? Sure. Yeah, they can actually, they can email me, chris at chriswidener.com. They can also view our new news site called Politicrossing, uh, politicrossing.com. And um, our, our slogan, our motto is, we are the intersection of faith and politics. Uh, it's not a Christian site per se, but it is a site that is it's uh, informed by the traditional Judeo-Christian worldview. And, uh, and so everything comes from that perspective. And we're very excited about it. We've been up and running for a month. We've had almost a, a half a million page views. And I, I feel like it really hits kind of a niche for people who they uh, are people of faith. They want to read something. They don't necessarily need it to be overt, overtly Christian or faith-based, but, uh, but coming from that worldview. Chris, thank you so much for being on the Be The People show. And I wish you the best with all of your work. And to our listeners, remember, it's up to us to be the people who change our nation and our world. And Chris is making his mark and you can too. Thank you. Thank you.